So a, a great gospel to finish up our mission today in this Holy Mass. And we talked Monday about Job. Yesterday we talked about Paul. And today, Jonah. And today in this Holy Gospel, Christ says there's something greater than Jonah here. So the title of today's homily and points of meditation is Go East, Not West. We're all somewhat familiar of the book of Job. It's actually a very short book. You can read it probably in 15 minutes, maybe less if you're a speed reader. It's only four chapters. And we're all familiar of this story, and we just remember our Jonah being swallowed up by a whale. But there's so much in this that we can contemplate. And I'm going to use the whole story, except for the last chapter, which would be a homily in itself, is we see in Jonah's life, or in this story of him, that there's first a backslide. And we've been meditating on this week how, as human persons, when we are giving a trial or a tribulation or something that's uncomfortable, rather than accept God's will, we sometimes go the wrong direction. We backslide. God says, go east. And so because we're stubborn, we go west. If God says, go south, sometimes we think we know better, and we go north. I think the thing we should do, and what Jonah learned, is when God says, go west, just go west. So in the story of Jonah, if you go to the first couple lines, God gives him a mission. And it wasn't an easy mission. He was to go to this town of Nineveh and to tell this city, repent. And if you don't repent, God's going to destroy your city. What if I asked you to go to San Francisco and I gave you a megaphone? I said, go in front of the town hall and say, repent, or God will destroy this city. You'd probably say, no way. You'd be afraid of getting locked up, end up on the news. What's going to happen to me? And so in this, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Notice it says, the word of the Lord. And he says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But then in verse 3, what happens? It says here, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Nineveh was east. Jonah went west. <laughs> Sounds familiar, doesn't it? God says, don't do this. We do it. God says, hey, I'm going to warn you. I want you to be happy, but you got to follow me. Uh-uh. God says, carry your cross. We say, it's too heavy. Leave me alone. I've got a better way. And so Jonah ran away from the Lord. 
And we've done this many times. And I think we can say safely our country, our families sometimes, our world simply is going in the wrong direction. God says one thing, and the world says another thing. God says go east, and the world goes west. So first off, we have to think is, are we headed in the right direction? And notice, God says go east. At some churches still today or in the old mass, right? The priest faces the east. And the reason for that, as you probably know, we've taught you in the past, is that this is where we expected the second coming of Christ to be coming from, from the east. Churches were directed traditionally towards the east. Why? That's where God is worshipped, to the east. So east signifies what? Facing God, worshiping God, loving God, and more importantly, listening to God. Jonah once again was told to go east and he went west. And so he backslides. And we've witnessed, you know, some witnesses from how we or heard stories about when there's a cross rather than see it as a great proposition a great grace to be a witness to Christ to be a witness to God to be a witness to truth to be a witness of hope if we don't have the right mindset and we don't have hope and we don't know that God has our back we can go west. And so he goes to Joppa. And he gets on a boat. And he's going to go way west. He was going to get in his truck and drive out west. To the wild west. Where there's no rules. No truth. Just what I want. And if I go far away, God won't find me. And Jonah forgot that God's not constricted by time and space. He's what we call omnipresent. He's everywhere. God is both east and God is both west. God is north and God is south. We can't hide from God. He made us. He created us. He sustains us. And he longs for us. And somehow, in our little puny minds, like Jonah, we think, I can hide from God. If I just curl under my blanket, I'll be okay. But God, please don't tell me to do anything difficult. So, yes, what we, we was going to do was going to take a lot of sacrifice. It was going to take a lot of energy. It was going to take a risk. 
it was going to take, most importantly, trust. And where did Jonah go wrong? He simply didn't trust in God's providence for what God had prepared for this great prophet. He thought, wait a minute, Nineveh's too big, the people are too strong, the sacrifices are too deadly, and so let me just get on the love boat and sail away. So we see here a backslide. And so then what happens is, thanks be to God, well, God sort of locks them up for a little bit and makes them think about things. Now, we know the story. He goes in the ship. There's a storm. The pagan people were thinking, well, storms mean there's some kind of evil spirits out there. Someone in this boat did something wrong and someone's got to get off the boat. Someone's going to be voted off the island. And Jonah's sitting there kind of thinking, I hope they don't know it's me. And when things get really bad, he goes to confession and says, bless me, Father, for I've sinned. <laughs> God had a plan for me. I was supposed to go to Nineveh. I decided to go west. And I think in some, for some reason, I might be the person that God's looking for. And so they said, well, there's only one thing to do. And he actually suggested this. Well, I'm the cause of all these problems. He fell into despair. Might as well end my life like Job wanted to. Just throw me over the boat. That destination vacation is not going to happen. God found me. He's angry at me. There's no future for me. Things aren't looking good. Just put me over the side. But once again, God had still had a plan for Jonah. And so what happens is he gets swallowed up by a whale. And then for three days, Jonah gets a three-day mission in a belly of a whale. Now, Unlike Sacred Heart, which is beautiful, eh, the seats are kind of hard. <laughs> it hurts after 30 minutes. Beautiful sanctuary. You got a little incense. Where God put them, stunk bad. Now, I've never been in the belly of a whale, but I've opened up bellies of deer. And if it's anything like a belly of a deer, I don't want to spend three days in a belly of a whale. Because when you open up the belly of anything, there's a lot of stuff in that belly. And that belly don't smell good. That belly don't feel good. And that belly makes you suffer. Now I want you to notice, brothers and sisters, what did God do to get Jonah to turn around? He says, you don't want to listen to my, to my word? You don't want to listen to what I've got to. You don't trust in my plan. Let me put you on the sideline for a little bit. And let me put you in the corner to think about things. And I'm going to let you suffer for three days. 
And you know, brothers and sisters, what happens when God permits suffering, what's the point of it? That God needs to purify us of our selfishness, our self-reliance, our sense of we know better, that we can see things when we don't see things from God's perspective. We only get what's here on the ground, and once again, God sees things from 50,000 feet. Well, I'd say a million feet, a trillion feet from what we see. Jonah failed to see the big picture. And I think what happens if you listen to what happened, these witnesses of people, is sometimes suffering allows us to experience being in the belly of a whale in a cave, to think about things and to set our life straight and to think about what if I went back east? What if I decided to do what God's asking me to do rather than what I want to do? Maybe, just maybe, things might be better than being in the belly of a stinky well. And so it says Jonah, like Paul did yesterday, he prayed to God. And he said the following prayer, and I'm just going to read part of it. I'd like you to look at it and meditate upon it. It's a beautiful prayer. He says the following, once again, part of it. You heard me into the depths. You, God, permitted this evil to happen. You allowed this suffering in my life, this cross, this tribulation, this trial. I could have been dead, but you saved me into the very heart of the sea and the current swirled about me and all your waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight. You don't want me anymore. I am worthless to you. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The place of worship, the temple faces what direction? East. He says to God, okay, I get it. You woke me up. You gave me a little bit of a trial. You gave me a little bit of suffering. I know I was being a big baby about it. And I wanted to do my own thing. But I got to tell you, Lord, when I don't do your will, and when I do my will, I'm miserable. In that prayer, and he goes on to say this, what I have vowed, I will make good. What I vowed, I will make good. Brothers and sisters, when we were baptized, we made certain promise, promises. That one, we will reject who? Satan. And all his evil machinations. I believe in God and Jesus Christ. And I will stay in the ship, not the ship of my own making, but the ship which is the universal instrument of salvation, the church. I will stay on that ship, but I will head the right way, which is your way. And how many know when God 
is steering the ship, even though there will be storms and trials and problems and maybe some seasickness that he permits, the destination is beautiful. But out west, there's nothing but fruits and nuts. It's a place of lunacy. The safest place in the world is God's will. The safest place in the world, I say it again, is God's will. So if God permits something that we don't understand, but we know intuitively it's his will, we're in a safe place. If we follow his commandments, even though it's difficult and it's an uphill battle, with God's grace, he'll make it okay. If we fall, he'll pick us up. But when we go against that will, when we break his commandments, which really are safe, keep us protected, there's walls of security. They're not just rules. They're walls that keep us safe from destroying ourselves. And so many people look at God's commandments as being restrictive when in essence they are liberating. They're freeing. Imagine a world where everyone lived the Ten Commandments. It would be called what? Heaven. But we live in a world that mocks God's commandments. You know, I've told this story. We were in a crazy world, brothers and sisters. When I had my, my first surgery... And I've told this story before, it's worth repeating. I, um, my mom told me to go pick up some stuff from the rectory at St. Cecilia's. And uh, I don't know why, but I, I was wearing my cassock, and on top of my cassock I had a hunting jacket. So I will, and I hadn't shaved for a couple of days. So I admit, I probably looked a little bit strange. <laughs> but you could see the black robe, you could see the white collar, but it wasn't the normal look. So I had to get gas. And so I got my stuff. And of course, mom's, remember this, remember that, remember this, remember that. I got it, mom. I probably forgot half of the stuff. <laughs> and I get to the gas station. And I walk into the gas station. And this woman, nice smile, with multicolor hair, starts laughing at me. I said, all right, uh, can I get the key to the restroom, please? And $40 on pump number two. And she goes, can I ask you something? I said, yes, what is it? She goes, are you a wizard? <laughs> Not quite. So I come back out, give her the key, and her manager let her have it. And she says, Father, I'm so sorry. I went, you know, I, I, I don't know why she called you a wizard. And she just, you dummy. And I was like, it's all right. I've been called worse. It's kind of cool to be called a wizard, you know. I said, have a great day. God bless you. And God loves you. And I walked out. And so this other guy comes out. And, you know, I pump my gas. He's like, hold on, father. And he, he had a cigarette. And he was kind of shaking. 
And he says, uh, Father, I just want to apologize on behalf of the gas station. <laughs> I said, for what? And he goes, well, for my worker calling you a wizard. I went to 12 years of Catholic school. Went to Solomon's Island. I'm like, my buddy's a pastor there. He goes, oh, that's right. <laughs> you haven't been in a while. <laughs> hey, brothers and sisters, when you tell you've been to Catholic school for 12 years, it's a dead giveaway. You haven't been to church for 40. <laughs> Don't ever say that to the priest. It's a giveaway. <laughs> it's like at funerals, we say, the Lord be with you. And they say, and also with you. We're like, that was 20 years ago, pal. We changed the words. Get the memo. So he goes, you know, I, I can't believe it, man. And I just got a rehab and God is good. I'm, I said, praise God, man. How long have you been sober? He's been one month. I said, I'll pray you stay that way. Said, yeah, it's good to be back at work, Father. And he goes, you know, but I got to tell you something. She thinks he's a he. I said, excuse me? That woman thinks she's a he, if you know what I mean. I said, I'll pray for her. And I got in my truck and I thought, isn't that something? Priests are wizards. But men are women today. Who's, we're in a crazy world, aren't we? We've totally lost the sense of the East. Of rationality. Isn't that Poor girl, we pray that she comes back and gets her identity. There's a lot of wounds there. A lot of healing needed. But maybe somewhere and somehow because of bad things that happened to her suffering in her life, maybe she was heading east, but because of bad influences and bad things that happened to her, she ended up on a ship going west. But how many know that God can bring her back to the East if we pray for her and help her and talk to her and love her? What's the safest place in the world? It's God's will. What's the, the holiest place in the world? It's God's will. And so there's this backslide then there's being in the belly. He makes his prayer. And then sort of the funniest thing happens. If you read this story, and I, you have to, I, have to, I was going to ask Monsignor Pope this question. And obviously you have to be careful, like it's literally what happened. But according to the text, what happened? The belly puked him out of his stomach. Now, do you realize, it wasn't just like he puked him. It was like this puke that went miles. He went miles across the sea and ended up on the beach where he got on the ship. Watch your head. Alright, I'll tell you a funny story from college. For a little bit I played rugby and uh, there was this guy on our team, we called him Swamp. Swamp man, because he never showered. <laughs> but it actually came in very handy in rugby because no one wanted to tackle the guy. So we hadn't swamped the ball, and then people were like, oh man, you get him. <laughs> and I guess Swamp had partied too much the night before, and we're driving from 
Dallas all the way to some, I think it was like Houston or it might have, it was, oh no, it was Oklahoma. And it was hot as you know what, H-E double hockey stick. There's no AC in this van because they didn't give the rugby team any money. And so we're in this air-conditioned void van. We're in the belly of the whale with 20 guys cramped into this thing, windows open, and it smelled like the stomach of a whale. And we hear Swamp, uh, Coach, can you pull over? And one of the guys like, hey Swamp, be quiet, go back to sleep. No, no, pull over. And then someone's like, what's wrong? I'm not feeling well. And then so someone said, hey Coach, I think Swamp needs to, we need to pull over. Ah, uh, Swamp will be okay. And then all of a sudden, we're waiting, and then Swamp said, please pull, and I turned around. I'm in the front of the van, he's in the back of the van, and vomit came all over me and the whole team. <laughs> and we all yelled unanimously, Coach, pull over! <laughs> so we pulled over and we all took turns in the gas station bathroom, where you remember that pink soap that smells like, I don't know what. And you wipe, you know, and it like leaves your skin feeling like a crocodile for six days. We all showed up to the game like this. We actually won the game. Thanks to Swamp. Back to the story. He ends up on the beach. He ends up in Joppa. And you know, when we go to confession, brothers and sisters, it's like God's like, okay, let's, let's replay this. You made a backslide, you go into a cave, and Jesus' mercy kind of pukes you back out. Let's play this game again. Let's start over. Let's begin again. Now, this time, with your grace, let's go east and not what? West. So... He goes east, and then he starts doing his work. For us, if God permits us to be in the belly of a whale, does this symbolizes suffering? And he pukes us back on the beach? We're more prepared to do God's will because the suffering purified us to do his will better. It always works out that way. He learned his lesson, and he said, what? Okay, God, me and you, we're going to Nineveh. Not alone, me and you. And so the next point is after he's in the bell in the well, and he's puked up, there's a born-again experience. So what happens is he goes east. And he goes to Nineveh, and the text teaches us is that the journey through Nineveh was how many days? Three. Three days in the belly, three days through Nineveh. Now, let me ask you this question. Walking three days, once again, is difficult, arduous, and painful. But because he had been through the seminary of the whale and God purified him with his suffering, he's now better equipped to walk three days through Nineveh. 
Now, I would look at, this is not a interpretation of the fathers of the church, so to speak. But let's look at each day as a portion of the journey. And Nineveh is our journey towards total conversion to heaven. And Nineveh is not just these people that lived in this foreign land going from evil to good, but it's us that go from evil to good as Jonah went from evil to good and it took him three days to get there. Actually, on the fourth day, he kind of messed up again, but God helped him. That's in chapter four. All right, stage one. From what I know about Nineveh, is it was seriously hot. It was probably a desert climate. And he felt a little weary, but the sun was actually healing to him. So one step, as we learn from these three days, from sin to grace, there's steps of healing. From suffering to acceptance, there are stages we need to go through. What's the remedy that God can give us? Now, anyone who's been in chronic pain knows that it's not just taking certain things, but there's disciplines like Jonah that a person has to go through in order to get through the journey. All right, first off, the sun. It is hot. And one thing I've been doing since... Um, I finally tried not medicine, but I'm trying other types of healing is called heat therapy. You know, you get this red light and you let it burn you for a little bit. And I got to tell you, it actually works. But what did Krista Wells teach us? Where did she get her healing from? It was in front of the sun. The son of God in adoration. It's not just red light therapy. It's divine therapy. And brothers and sisters, if you are going through a rough time or you're going through a serious cross, I promise you, if you get in the front of our, our Lord, who will be exposed in a few moments or in front of a tabernacle, if he's not exposed, he can still work through that door. God's radiating hot healing rays will heal you. It's impossible to not feel comfort and relief and help with our sufferings with heat therapy, with divine therapy. Secondly, cold therapy. I'm sure the nights, as we know in the desert, the days are hot, but the nights are what? Frigid. And one of the darndest things about being in the desert is you're super hot during the day and you're super cold at night. It's sort of extremes. And isn't it true sometimes in our life, there seems to be no relief from the cross at times, where we go from extreme heat to extreme cold, back to extreme heat, back to extreme cold. 
Another therapy I've been trying. I'm not telling you guys to do this. I'm experimenting. Next year, I'll tell you if it works. A friend of mine has an incredible device in his basement. It's called a cold therapy bath. And what it is, is imagine a hot tub that's not hot, it's actually freezing cold. Sounds fun, huh? You're all invited. And he says, oh man, this is gonna work. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, promise you, I read an article on the internet. Oh, here we go again. More cucumbers. And he said, I said, what do you do? He goes, you go in this pool and you stay there for three to five minutes. Well, how cold is it? He says, it's only 39 degrees. I said, what? Went in that sucker, I almost came out in a second. But at, what happens is, it's really weird, I don't think necessarily it takes away the pain, but you're in so much pain, you don't know you're in pain anymore. Because <laughs> everything shuts down and everything hurts and you're just like, I think it worked. <laughs> but what it does, I think psychologically, is that it trains your mind to bear suffering. And so whatever the suffering you experience physically, you're able to deal with it more. How do we do that as Catholics? Self-denial. And in order for Jonah to go through this three-day journey, he had to deny himself. He didn't have a lot of good food, struggled to get water, but like Nancy Singleton did, she just toughs it out. How many here at church, when you heard her story, thought, I'll never complain again? Hello? I mean, you're sitting there like, um, okay, I got it bad, but she's got it worse. But she is one tough cookie. Why? She simply doesn't quit. And she tells herself, what? I'm not identified by my pain and suffering and my struggle. I'm defined by, what did she say? That I am God's beloved daughter. We are not identified by our struggle. It doesn't define what we are. What defines us is that we are God's children. And we're loved by God. And the reason, you know, she had that is she said, what? I had parents that loved me. And remember what her parents told her. Out of all the kids, I'm glad it's you. Why? We know you can handle it because you're one tough what? Cookie. We got to deny ourselves. And lastly, I think one thing that Jonah did not have that we have, but Jonah had a lot of it, but not all of it, is we have each other. Look around you. We're all in the boat and we're all seasick. And we all have struggles and problems. But what does our faith and help tell us? 
you're not alone. You're never alone. The church is a family. You have a father. And we also have a mother that loves us. Our Lady. Now, I don't know what if Jonah had a girlfriend or not, but let's pretend he did. When the journey got really tough on day two and a half, and he's like, I'm tired of Nineveh. Let's pretend he had the prettiest girlfriend in the world. What do you think motivated Jonah to keep marching? He opened up his wallet, and he looked at the picture of his girlfriend. And he said, I'm going to go home because of her. Tell you another story. Once we were given a talk in the seminary, and someone had given me a really beautiful picture of Our Lady that I kept in my wallet. And so, you know, I'm third year in the seminary, and I can't remember what the talk was, but I started my talk off like this. And this was at Sacred Heart and Bowie for the youth group. I said, Well, first off, I want to show you a picture of my girlfriend, and the mothers all gasped and like fell off their seat. I said, You didn't listen to the rest of the story. And I showed the picture of Our Lady, and they're like, oh my gosh, why didn't you tell us beforehand? But what did our Lord tell us on the cross? On the cross, what did Jesus tell us? He said to the beloved disciple, behold your mother. When did he give us Mary? On the cross. Why? He knew when we were suffering that we would need her. When we're going through the valley of tears, when we feel despairing, when we feel far from Nineveh, when we feel like the journey is too long, when we're on the wrong direction going West, the best way of getting back on track is going to that beautiful picture in the wallet, which is Our Lady, and say, help me. Mother Teresa used to tell her sisters, when you're struggling, say, Mother Mary, be my mother now. And I promise you, brothers and sisters, that if you go to her, when you're on the cross, so to speak, or on your way to Calvary, she'll help you. How does the journey end? Nineveh converts. And everyone gives their life to God. Sin is defeated. Darkness is banished. The world comes to light. And Jonah, who had so much fear and doubt and worry and anxiety, thought, man, that wasn't hard at all. They didn't arrest me. They didn't stone me. They didn't mock me. The king says, tell your animals to put on sackcloth. 
Why did the animals have to put sackcloth on? I don't know. Another Bible study. Humans have to put on sackcloth because we have immortal souls. Animals don't. I'm sorry for you animal lovers. But if in order for heaven to be perfect, your dog will indeed be there. But the story ended well. And for us who decide to go east and not west, if we went west and we go back and we turn around, and if we go back and we keep turning around, if we keep going on the ship and turning around, and we're on the beach heading into Nineveh, with God's grace, with our trials and tribulations, the story will indeed end well for all of us. Last point, a great book to read maybe during Lent if you're looking for spiritual reading is a book called He Leadeth Me. I love this book because Walter Chiswick, who's up for sainthood, if you read the book, there's two books with God in Russia and He Leadeth Me. One is his, basically his autobiography and the other one is sort of lessons he learned, meditations he made. And there's my favorite part of the book is called Purgatory where he's in the darkest moment of his life. He was this very strong seminarian, always had to be the first in every race he did, always had to do the most, always had to do the biggest fasts. He wanted to go to Russia as a missionary. They let him go, and shortly thereafter, he was caught by the KGB, and they tortured the poor man, and they kept torturing him and said, Tell us, sign this document and tell us you're a spy. He wasn't a spy. But they tortured him so much, he finally gave in. He compromised. He signed the document. And he was intellectually and spiritually crushed. He felt like he had abandoned God. He had lied. He was unfaithful in his heart. But the interesting thing is, is that he realized that it was part of God's design. And he realized the following, because God loves me, and because God has a plan for me, he said, I still will end up in the right place if I simply surrender to God wholeheartedly. That means hold nothing back. Now, one of the things brothers and sisters we struggle with is I think all of us want to give our life to God but isn't it true we all hold something back because we think I can't live without that and I quote him he was given a grace of surrender and he said this, with sudden and almost blinding clarity and simplicity, I realized I've been trying to do something with my own will and intellect that was at once too much and mostly all wrong. God's will was not hidden somewhere out there in the situations in which I found myself. The situations themselves were his will for me. In other words, being with the KGB and being tortured was God's will.
What he wanted most from me was to accept these situations as from his hands. And what did we talk about last night? In order to kiss the cross, we have to what? Accept God's will. Not what it should be, but what it is right now. And not look for what? I taught you last night. The BBD. Bigger, better deal. And he goes on to say, to let go of the reins and place myself entirely of his disposal, he was asking me to act, to make an act of total trust. Did you ever think for a moment that what you did today was God's will? And once again, what's the safest place in the world? God's will. And that's why we pray once again, thy will be done. So tonight in this healing mass, I pray that Father Scott prays over me. And then I hop on my bike and ride back to DC. <laughs> Could happen. More than likely not. You might pray that your cancer is taken away. Your spinal problems are gone. Your physical ailments are destroyed. Your child calls you right after Mass and says, Mom, I'm coming back to church. All your children call you. Could it happen? Of course. But does it mean that God loves us less if it doesn't? Or could it mean that he's got something better for us than what we're asking for? And what's the answer if we truly have faith, hope, and love that God has something better for us than what we're actually asking for? And the grace we should say is, Lord, you know what I want. But if I want to find peace, thy will be done and help me when you say go east, I stay east and not go west. And if I decide to go west, bring you back to the east.